0: What does it take for a believer's life to glorify God? As believers, do our lives all equally glorify God the same? Or, put it another way, is it possible that your life could bring more glory to God than another person's? These are interesting questions for us to ponder. Yet beyond these questions, I believe there's an even bigger question that God would have us contemplate regularly. And it's this. How does God desire for our lives to bring Him glory? How does God desire our lives to bring Him glory? I think it's natural for us to usually think in terms from a finite or a human perspective. But it's also healthy as we meditate on the Lord and we consider the author of life, the giver of life, the perfecter of our faith. How would he have us answer the question, how does he desire for our lives to bring him glory? If you've been here in the previous weeks, you know we've been studying through one of the pastoral epistles. And the pastoral epistles are, there's three of them 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. And the pastorals were first written and foremost to pastors and church leaders so that they would know and maintain the priority and promote the most essential things in the church so that God could receive maximum glory. Secondarily, they're written to all believers, for Paul addresses Titus. And church leaders about the priorities of the local church so that they will in turn teach, model, and lead their congregations in these truths. And in the first chapter of Titus, Paul addresses the need to have qualified leaders and how these qualified leaders need to protect the church from false teachers. Well, this morning we're going to continue our journey through the verses, the opening verses of Titus chapter 2, where Paul exhorts pastors and elders... To speak sound doctrine and specifically sound doctrine that relates to how the various genders and ages and classes of people in the church need to live in order to reflect sound doctrine in their lives. Or if I can use a phrase that has been common to us as we've gone through this series, be a testimony. And the title of our current series is The Testimony of Our Church and the Instruction. That the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to record for Titus and the church on the island of Crete is just as relevant for us today, Cornerstone Bible Church, in the year 2014. Our passage has allowed us to progress in the following order. We studied how the gospel has impacted the lives of older men, and they magnified the gospel and God, God's word in their lives. We, we studied this in Titus 2.2, and then we focused on older and wiser women and the gospel witness of their lives as they magnify God's word in Titus 2-3. And I shared that Paul then makes a discipleship connection for those who are older and wiser to invest, to turn around and to invest in the, the lives of those who are young and teachable. And all the time Paul is doing this, he is addressing the issue that has plagued the churches on island of Crete there was a major infection that was a systemic infection that was coming into the body of the churches and the holy spirit led the apostle paul dr paul to take his prescription pad and to go ahead and write a prescription in the form of a letter to titus that served as a strong antibiotic And this medicinal letter of discipleship prescribed was intended to restore the spiritual health and vitality of the church by confronting the false teachers and their false teaching. A gospel-converted heart was to provide a testimony of godly living that would run counter to the culture that existed in Crete, a culture of lying, gluttony, and laziness. And last week's sermon emphasized that In our Americretan culture, it's really no different. Our cultures are virtually the same. We we, we talked about that. Maybe maybe even a little bit worse in, in some regards. It's important for us not to lose sight of the ministry motive of this letter and the significance of its purpose in the Bible. And like a true disciple maker, Paul was trying to fill up what was lacking in their faith. And he starts out his... Letter by exhorting them with the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life. But the question remains, why should the believers on the island of Crete have listened to the Apostle Paul? And we can ask the same thing for us today. Why should we listen to this letter even today? Just over a month ago, we heard a good message from our brother in Christ, didn't we? Pastor Peter Smith, who was visiting from Michigan. And he encouraged us to live for the glory of God using the purpose statement from 1 Peter 4.11 that says, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And if I can repeat the question that we started the message with. How does God desire for our lives to bring him glory? Let's continue to wrap our hearts and minds around Titus 2 and see what the Lord has in store. And I'm going to read Titus uh, chapter 2, verse 1, all the way through verse 5, and this should be getting very familiar to us. Paul wrote, But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Over the last couple of Sundays, we shared that verses 4 and 5 contain seven testimonies of young and teachable women, and we've covered five out of the seven so far with two remaining. And we don't have time to review them, but they're, they should be listed in your bulletin. I hope that they are. Are all the testimonies uh, listed in there for you? Fantastic. Thank you, publishing team, for being on top of it. And our sermon proposition has stood firm throughout our entire journey through this passage. Our teachability allows the gospel and God's word to be magnified in our testimonies. God receives glory when he saves us, and God receives glory when he sanctifies us. And we cherish the grace and the good news of the gospel that has allowed us to have an established discipleship relationship with Christ as we follow Him and learn from Him. And in Christ, as disciples, we are really humbled and brought low as we see our need to be teachable. And it doesn't take us long to realize just how little we know. Yet over time, the Word of God instructs us And informs us so that God's word is magnified in our testimonies. And let me share an example of how our current passage uh, demonstrates that our teachability allows the gospel and God's word to be magnified in our testimonies. God has called every believer in the church to be sensible, according to this passage. doesn't matter. Leaders, members, young women, older women, young men, older men. Across the board, God saved us so that we can be sensible and give him glory. And the Bible makes it clear that his ways and his thoughts are so much higher than ours. And they are. And we read about that in Isaiah 55. And due to our sin nature, both pre-salvation and post-salvation, we can be foolish and insensible. And through the gospel, we're enabled... We're empowered to live sensibly and sober-minded. And this magnifies the gospel in our testimonies. All of us have been saved. And even if you've only been saved for a short amount of time, you've seen how God's work in your heart has changed you to become more sensible. It has led you away from sinful relationships. It's led you away from... It's made you sensible about sinful temptations. It's led you away from reacting in a sinful manner in some situations. And I even think about my wife's testimony when you came home from high school summer camp and your mom asked you to clean the kitchen floor. And there was a war that was waged in your mind. You, she became sensible. And she, she knew that that was what God would have her do and, and you responded accordingly. Or maybe it's God makes you more sensible and sensitive to the types of jokes that you might care or the conversations that you might get caught up. Every single person in Christ can share ongoing testimonies of God saving them from their being insensible and helping them be sober-minded and prudent. And this also magnifies the gospel and brings glory to God. Now we also grow and mature spiritually when it comes to being more sensible. As we study God's Word, as we see the commands of Scripture, as He guides and directs us, He is sanctifying us and He is growing us and He's maturing us in becoming more sensible. We develop an increase in our understanding of what it means to be more sensible. And this allows God's Word to be magnified in our testimonies. Also giving him more and more glory. And we'll discuss this in greater detail when we look at the purpose statement at the end of verse 5. But for now, we need to focus on our next testimony in the text. Testimony number six is this: young teachable women learn to be good workers at home. And some of you might be doing a double take right about now. Because you're just saying, wait a minute, didn't we cover that under testimony? number five. And my answer to that question is not exactly. Last week under testimony number five, we addressed the sensitive topic of young wives and mothers potentially working outside of the home. And if you weren't here with us, you can go ahead and listen to that message online. It's available. But we spent additional time on this because there are so many factors to be considered. And this is why we looked at the exegetical aspects. We looked at the cultural aspects, if you recall, before we looked at the MO, before we looked at the motives behind making such a decision. And we arrived at the conclusion that a Christian wife and mother could work outside the home, but the probing question to answer is should she work outside of the home? And I was trying to think of an illustration that would, would help Uh, shepherd our understanding and provide both the wisdom and the probability of God leading a wife and mother to work outside of the home. And I think I have one. God gifts some believers with the gift of singleness, which is a wonderful gift that enables single believers to serve the Lord in some very unique ways. And if you're single, and right about now you're saying, I don't really think that my singleness is a real gift, well, then there's a very good chance that he didn't gift you with the gift of of singleness. The point that I want to make is that the gift of singleness is the exception, not the norm. The norm is for most of us to get married. And the same is true when it comes to wives and mothers working outside of the home. It's the exception, not the norm. Or I could even say that it's not ideal in most cases for most women. God gifts certain women with the bandwidth and the ability to excel in their care of the home, even while working outside of the home. It's a gift. Again, this is, we're seeking counsel and being sensitive to your conscience, and the Holy Spirit's leading will bless you in great measure. When we finished the sermon last week, I shared That this week, testimony number six will allow us to focus our attention on learning to be good workers in the home. And depending on your translation that you use, whether you use the ESV or the NASB, that word that immediately follows "workers at home" is either going to be translated um, "kind," which it is in the ESV and the NASB, or if you have a King James or New King James version, it's going to be translated "good." Okay. And it can, the, the Greek word is agathos, which is where we get the English name agatha. And the Greek word actually means kind or good. And so both translations work. Commentators, however, are split on whether this adjective is meant to stand alone or if it should be paired together to, to describe workers at home. And So in an effort to stay faithful to the text, I kept it as its own testimony because it's possible that it could be independent. And those who take this position have some logic to their argument. The biggest argument being that Paul's emphasis on good deeds, which is a prevalent theme in the book, provides enough cause for it to be translated good in some of our English Bibles. The argument against, of course, is that there's no good reason why it couldn't be translated kind which would also be a legitimate translation. And there are two primary reasons why I believe good should be paired with workers at home. And these should also be listed in your outline. And the first reason is this. It exalts the gospel as a woman's converted heart embraces God's role while resisting the temptation of the curse. The wide in, uh, widespread impact of feminism in our culture, only continues to grow stronger. And nothing disturbs this movement more than to hear someone advocating, uh, any person advocating, even God Himself, that wives and mothers are predominantly called to be good workers in the home. As we say in the South, Dennis fighting words. Okay? Those are, those are they're not going to be pleased with that. They're not. We shouldn't be surprised by this because we see that it is a consequence of the fall in Genesis 3.16. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Two things are important to note in the last portion of of verse sixteen of Genesis three, that help both us understand the culture in which we live, and also the sinful bent and the tendency of our, our, our own uh, wicked hearts. A consequence of sin is that women will desire to usurp the authority of men. They are, due to sin, going to rebel against the authority of men, whom God designated. To rule over women. But men and women both suffer due to the fall. And I want you to see this. Women will rebel against being submissive. Which really features. And and, and we see this uh, just with the demands that come through the movement of, of feminism. It's really the heartbeat. While men will suffer from being passive in their leadership. And I've shared this with some before, but when Victoria and I first moved here, we were engaged in conversation, and Victoria has a Russian background, and so she was sharing a little bit about her culture. And we were talking to one of the young single gals in the church who was sharing a little bit about Asian culture and uh, really just we were having a good time just talking about different things. And she said that there um, are some in Asian cultures that view uh, Males as being PAMS, Um, and and so Victoria and I just kind of looked at each other and we were just like, "What's a Pam?" You know, we we didn't know. And she went on to explain that the acronym stood for Passive Asian Male, and that as a result of, uh, well, at at that time I think the discussion was talking about just even men, some men in the culture um, being passive in terms of leadership, or or being assertive. And so, um, it it was an interesting conversation, and I remember it very well, and my mind um, was thinking, even as she was sharing that, that this seemed true of so many cultures, so many cultures across the board. It's common for men to lack the desire to lead in general due to the fall. And I remember even thinking it's it's not a passive asian male a pam is the passivity of all men it is that's what it stands for that due to our 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 sin nature that we we don't assert ourselves in terms the way that god would have us assert ourselves as our leadership in the home and when we do in our sinful bent as we do in our flesh it usually is translated in lording our authority over a woman which gets interpreted as what chauvinism and so due to the fall you have feminism and rebellion on the female side and passivity, and a lack of leadership, or in some instances, chauvinism on the male side. And a gospel-converted heart saves both men and women from these things. It frees the woman of God from feminism and self-promotion so that they're enabled to give God glory according to His plan and His purposes. And the second primary reason I believe good should be paired with workers at home, is this. It complements the role that God has clearly outlined for women in Scripture in loving their husbands and their children. Recently, I had a conversation with Chris McGrath's parents, and Chris says hello to everyone, extends his greeting. And we were talking about a number of things, and uh, it's just always good to touch base with them. Such a sweet, uh, godly family. And I had a chance to talk to Chris's dad, and then I talked to um, Julie McGrath, Chris's mom, shortly after that. And I was really grateful because I was able to talk to her. She leads the mom's ministries back at the church, so I just thought it would be, it'd be just seize the opportunity to pick her brain a little bit about women being workers at home. And she began to just talk to me about a bunch of things over, over the phone, and I couldn't even capture them all. And I said... Julie, would you you just email me some of those thoughts? This is really good. I didn't want to lose it. Here's what she, she said. The Bible gives us no hard and fast rules about whether a woman should ever work outside her home. However, I do think that we have lost our appreciation of the vital and eternal significance of our homes. I think that would be where I would focus the beauty and the vital and eternal significance of what happens in our homes on a daily basis versus a debate about whether or not a woman should be employed at any point of her life. Here are a couple vital things that a woman brings to the life of her family when she stays at home. The gift of security and a haven for all. Over and over, my family has talked about how much they love our cozy home. And when they have been able to find words, my kids have expressed how comforting our home is. It's not so much about the furnishings as it is about the tone of things. Mom sets the tone of the home, and it is my privilege to set a tone of warmth and love. I always tell the moms, and she's making a reference to the moms and moms ministry in our church, Only mom will light the candle in your kitchen. I also do my best to keep the peace and address the discipline issues. There's enough fighting outside the doors of our home. In our home, we are safe and we are loved. Such an encouraging testimony. She also shared this quote, although I'm not sure who wrote it. It says this, A household which is transformed into a good place for both grown-ups and children to live in is the only household worth calling a home. The supreme art of living together is the art of good human relations, and if you, by God's grace and by discipline, can create a harmony in your home, which makes it a delight to live in, you are an artist as surely as if you wrote a great book, painted a beautiful picture, or composed a heavenly piece of music. And we want to esteem our mom's who labor in love in the home and this is why it is good if you're a single guy or if you're married without children to see the significance of what takes place in the home wives and mothers are the only ones who can fulfill this God ordained role they're the only ones god has specifically gifted it doesn't mean that other people can't con- contribute in-laws, grandparents, babysitters, nannies, daycares, schools, even Christian schools. They all fall short. They all fall short. God has gifted women and the, the, the workers at home to have that impact. They, other people might be able to contribute but only the woman has the the ability to complete it. Only in her can the fullness of it truly be um, developed. And so practically, what does this look like? Well, uh, there are some books that are good resources, and I actually brought them to the office with me, and then I usually like to bring them up and hold them up, so you can pretend I'm holding them up right now. But there's three book titles, and I want to mention them so that you ha- have them. Because they are fantastic resources. They make great discipleship resources for single or, or married women and husbands. They will bless you by blessing your wives. And the common book that I think everybody in this room would already be familiar with would be An Excellent Wife by Martha Peace. A okay? book that many of you may already own. There's another book called A Woman After God's Own Heart by Elizabeth George. The Mother at Home by John Abbott. And so I, I share these with you to let you know that there have been entire books that have been written. So there's no way for us to, to, to possibly cover in completion or in entirety what it's going to look like practically in the home. But I do want to give it my best effort. And so if you'll turn with me, I want us to look and, and spend some time in Proverbs 31. Please turn there with me if you have a copy of the text. And some women aren't encouraged by Proverbs 31 as they sometimes walk away feeling guilty because they feel like they don't measure up. And ladies, I I want to qualify the fact that all of us fall short of the standards of wisdom set forth in Proverbs. The gospel, however, brings hope. Our perfection is in Christ who has atoned for our sins and failures and has given us the very own virtue of His righteousness so that we can stand before God unashamed. And remember that God accepts you based on who? Based on Christ, right? Based on the work of Christ. It's not based on how good of a wife or mother you are. And it's certainly not based on how good men um, we are as husbands and spiritual leaders. For everyone who trusts in Christ, we know that the perfect righteousness has been imputed to us. But now we have the opportunity to glorify Him in our sanctification as we grow and mature in Christ. And Proverbs 31 provides some practical ways for wives and mothers to consider how they might live out their role practically. And I want us to consider nine observations Of the Proverbs thirty one woman are these listed in your notes? Got these? Great, excellent. So I'm going to move through these fairly quickly, and uh, if they weren't listed, then we'd have to uh, give you time to write them down. According to Proverbs thirty one, in verses ten through thirty one, she is both a wife and a mother. According to our context, and observation number one is this: she is trustworthy. Verse eleven. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Her husband can trust her faithfulness to her marriage vows. He can leave town. He can go on a business trip, and he doesn't have to worry about any foul play or anything happening while he is gone. She is going to bring honor and integrity to his name. While he's away, she's not going to be gossiping with other women about his secrets and his struggles and his affairs. He can trust her with everything. He can trust her with the finances. Yes, ladies, even those credit cards. He he can trust you with those. She won't spend her husband into debt. He can trust her oversight of the children and the entire household. Observation number two is this. She is an asset. Verses 11 and 12, 11b through 12. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. The virtuous woman devotes herself to assisting her husband in every way she can, especially in the domestic realm. Such a husband is richly blessed. In verse 12b, she consistently does him good all the days of her life. And you know what? She treats him better than he deserves. Because she's doing it for the Lord, ultimately. She's doing it from the Lord. And then we should see that too. Certainly, not because we're worthy, but because the Lord is worthy. Observation number three, she is home-centered. And we see a glimpse of this in verse 27. Her priority in life is to be a helper to her husband and take care and manage the home. She is content to support and share in her husband's success. See this in verse 11b and and verse 23 as well. She ignores the screeching feminists who are are crying out with a loud voice saying that you're wasting your life and you're giving your life away and the opportunity that you have to make a contribution to the society in which we live. (laughs) There's no greater, there no greater contribution that can be made. There is no greater contribution that can be made. She emulates the Lord Jesus Christ by having a servant's heart. She doesn't need worldly achievement and accolades for fulfillment in life. Observation number four. She is diligent. And the scriptures for you to reflect on are right there. She uses her time effectively. Verse 15a says, rising while it is still night. Verse 18b, and her lamp does not go out at night. She enjoys being busy and works with her hands in delight. And this isn't to say that she doesn't sleep, by the way, okay? It just means that there's a diligence, there's a commitment to, to, to taking care of the home, that even if it involves staying up. Late or getting up early, that her commitment is there. And Proverbs 31 shares the blessing of being organized and diligent. And though she is busy with many other interests, she doesn't cut corners when it comes to uh, feeding the family, um, preparing meals. She's willing to go the extra mile. To, you know, I appreciate this about Victoria just even to. Um, use uh, coupons and to um, travel a little bit further maybe to to, to get food that can't be healthier because we know that we all need that she also ensures that her family is well clothed and I'm thankful for that too Victoria even though I noticed that I got a little Liam love right here on my sleeve <laughs> okay. it's all good it's all good <laughs> Observation number five, she brings beauty and quality into her home. One commentator said this: if you want to know what the world would look like without women, just go visit a single guy's place and watch how he lives when there's no women when there are no women around. Okay, that will that will give you a glimpse, all right? A scary thought for some. For some, not all. We got we got some we got some dudes that can hang in, in the church too. Uh, that are are on top of it. But the encouraging wife goes beyond the minimum in dress and food preparation and home decoration. She tries to cook good meals. She tries to to keep them healthy. She brings a woman's touch as she decorates the home and providing hospitality for both her family and for those who might visit as guests. She takes care of... Of her outward appearance, including her clothes and her body, so that her husband can find delight in her beauty observation number six she is a responsible administrator. I call it forecasting, and women who grow in this you know just like the weather forecasting they can they can see things before they happen right they're they're predicting things that come, and that's that's that comes as, as really as you mature, as you grow and learn. You can, you can be a better forecaster, planning ahead for the needs of the family. And there's some other Proverbs that you can check out. Uh, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, 21, 5, and 30, 25 p- to this, uh, speak to this. She doesn't procrastinate. Her household is well run because of her careful management. Verse 15 and 27 featuring that. She is sensitive to the unique needs of each of her children and is faithful to shepherd and discipline them when necessary. Which, if you have young kids, basically is all day long. All the moms with young kids are like, can we get an amen up in this piece? That is it. Amen. Yes, it's all day long. And I appreciate this so much about Victoria because she um, is, is, is faithful in disciplining Uh, Lydia and Sophia and one of the ways in which that blesses me when I come home after uh, a long full day at the office when the kids have been disciplined all day long sometimes I get the blessing and the benefit of the peaceful fruit of righteousness that that produces. I'm not dealing with so much of the crying and men we we, we can recognize this too. I shared this story with the elders I came home from work one day and um, I wanted to Take Lydia and Sophia. They're in love with the pool right now. They love the water, and so um, shared with Victoria. I was going to take them to the pool, and she said that would be great. Give her a little bit of, of a break from them. And um, one of the first things that she has not do is take off all their clothes, and they're excited, and so their clothes just they t- and even Sophia. She she takes her diaper off because she knows she's getting that swimmy diaper on. Okay, she's she's ready to go, and they came. Uh, running out um, in their birthday suits, no clothes on, they're running out towards me, and they're like, they were so excited that I was taking them to the pool, right? And they turn around to go to Mama to get their swimsuits on, and I notice on their backsides both those two little rosy red cheeks on both of our children. Okay, <laughs> that, that that let me know what what, what, t- what took place that day, and 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 yeah. Um, But it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to spank your kids. It's hard to inflict that pain. It's not easy. And I want to encourage you, ladies who are so faithfully committed to disciplining your kids, because that is going to produce fright. That uh, fright. Uh, that is going to produce righteousness and yield fruit. <laughs> and, and and there should be a healthy fear of mom and dad. So, <laughs> but, but but I just commend you for doing that. And if you're someone, I'll tell you. Perhaps you, you, you tend to be more like I am as a, as a as a mom, and you tend to give a lot more grace got to be careful there, right? Because kids will take that grace and run with it, especially when they don't understand that grace that's been given to them, right? We want to be faithful as we discipline our kids. Observation number seven, her glory is in the home. Verses 28 and 29 are listed right there for you. She has devoted herself to her family The greatest earthly blessing that she seeks, and you have to capture this, is her children's respect and her husband's praise. That's that's what you're seeking as you glorify God in the process. The respect of your children and the praise of your husband. One commentator shared, This passage reminds children and husbands of their duty to offer words of encouragement when mom serves us well. And the reality is that as sinners, men, we we fall short. Oftentimes we don't bring those words of encouragement. Not every godly wife will receive this kind of praise. And such a wife can take great comfort that her praise ultimately is from God as he watches down, as he smiles down. I'm watching you serve your family and by serving him and his purposes. Observation number eight, her beauty is unfading. It lists verse 30 for you. One commentator had this to say, The world may measure a woman's worth by outward charm and beauty, but those who are wise look beyond the surface. A flirtatious woman may gather a crowd of suitors, but underneath the charm one may find rotten character. Likewise worldly women often have physical beauty while lacking character as a ring of gold in a swine's snout so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion proverbs 11:22 mere outward beauty does not last in spite of makeup exercise and even surgery a marriage based merely upon external beauty will fail because the body wilts over time like cut flowers but the godly woman's inner beauty grows over time. She is adorned by her good works and wise character. A godly man finds his greatest delight in such beauty. Beautiful quote. Absolutely beautiful quote. Observation number nine. Her fear of the, lo- her fear of the Lord reflects her success. Godly women understand that they don't su- succeed in their own strength, Right? They're serving in the strength which the Lord supplies. And the book of Proverbs ends where it began. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But because of the fall, being virtuous does not come naturally to us. A woman may even be tempted to abandon her role or to embrace the flesh and to respond in a spirit of rebellion. But the woman who turns to God in faith is forgiven her sin and receives a new nature. And the common complaint that can be shared by some women, I'd be an excellent wife if he were a better husband. Yet the wise woman's service to her husband is not based upon her husband's worthiness, but Christ's. The virtuous woman does not put her ultimate trust in man, not even in her husband. She serves God in her home with the strength which he supplies. And so, in conclusion, ladies, aspire to be a woman of excellence, all for the glory of God. How does God desire that we would give him glory? Don't make Eve's mistake and let the serpent rob you Uh, of the joy tempting you with the promises of bigger and better things outside God's will, enlisting God's school of spiritual charm and beauty. And we need our older women in the church to pour into the lives of the younger women in the church so that we get this, that we see this, that we see the, the, the beauty and the reality of what God is prescribing so that he can receive glory married men encourage your wives acknowledge her to be the gift of god that she is show her how you delight in her love her love her as christ loves you do all you can to help her find joy in the role That she's serving in your home. Single guys, seek a woman of excellence. Many young men are attracted to external beauty and charm. And let me just tell you women like that are a dime a dozen. You can go get one any day of the week, just go to the mall. Go to the beach. You'll find one. You'll find one. But a virtuous woman, she is a rare jewel. She is a gift. That's what. That's what it says. She is a gift. Proverbs nineteen fourteen. And I'm going to tell you this right now, and I want you to hear me loud and clear, because it took God to uh, a while after dating according to the world standard for me to get this. You know where you're going to find her. You're going to find her serving in ministry. That's where you're going to find her. And it is going to bless you. And there's no better place. There's no better place. It's incredible. It's incredible. Well, I hope these observations of Proverbs 31 were a blessing. And again, there are entire books that have been written describing the roles of wives and mothers in the home. What a testimony it is. What a testimony that it is. And so countercultural to what this world teaches. That this is how, as a woman, I can give glory to God. It is powerful, it exalts the gospel as a woman's converted heart embraces God's role. While resisting the temptation of the curse, it complements the role that God has clearly outlined for women in Scripture in loving their husbands and their children. Well, I want to share, and we'll conclude our time with, the written story of a couple who faced the struggle of whether or not mom should work outside of the home, and they hit this head-on. And I want us to draw our attention to the sanctifying work of the Lord as she shares what the Lord taught them, And how she grew them in the process. And notice how her converted heart embraced God's role while she resisted the temptation of the curse. And how she found her true contentment in her role of loving her husband and children. This is what she writes. When I was a third year medical student and excelling, if someone had told me that in two years I would hang up the white coat for the apron of motherhood, I would have told them that they had the wrong girl. I worked very hard for my accomplishments and enjoyed my work. I became pregnant two weeks into my medical internship. I cried every day for the first couple of months. It wasn't because of the baby that was coming. I had always wanted to be a mother and was thankful for God's gift to us. Looking back, I can see that I was crying because I was mourning the loss of my career, my aspirations, and ideas of self-worth. My husband and I struggled with how to balance a baby and a medical career. We prayed and we sought counsel from godly older women. Thank God that he put the perfect woman perfect women in front of me who told me to let the medical career go even on a temporary basis and embrace caring for my child at home. I quit my residency 4 months after my daughter was born and have been at home since that time. God performed a miracle. In my heart. God performed a miracle in my heart. He gave me the longings and desires to be at home with my children. Two years before, I would have never dreamed of being a worker in the home. After my period of mourning, while God was changing my heart, I was so happy to be able to quit. And so thankful to have a husband who was willing and more than happy to carry the burden of a single income family in Southern California. We will both testify again and again that this was the Lord's work in our hearts. She then describes uh, what she calls the five greatest blessings of being a worker in the home. Blessing number one protection. Being in the home and not in the working world. I am protected from so many potential temptations and opportunities for discontentment. I'm protected from having colleagues that value the idols of this world. And being really honest here, I'm protected from the advances, comments, and attractions to men other than my husband. And I'm protected from the widely regarded ideas of what makes a person happy in this world. Blessing number two, the opportunity to prioritize my husband. When things get busy in my household... My first instinct is to care for my children before my husband. says, quote, you are an able-bodied man who can get his own drink of water, end quote. Knowing that I have time in the day when my husband is gone allows me to pay more attention, pay more and better attention to him when he is at home. Blessing number three, the blessings of ministering to my children. Every child comes out of the womb completely different with their own set of likes, dislikes, talents, and sin issues. I truly, don't think, I truly don't think I would intimately know the heart of each of my children if I wasn't with them as much as I am. I'm discovering that shepherding the heart of my kids is a marathon of a task that requires much patience, perseverance, and gentleness. This responsibility is daunting and overwhelming. How much more so if I had another responsibility outside my home? This area is where I have my successes and failures of the day. This is the area that requires the most diligence and patience. And it's also the area that is so quickly dropped when a family member, excuse me, becomes committed and busy. I speak from experience here. Blessing number four, the gift of being able to exhaust myself on what I love the most. Motherhood and running a home is more than a full-time job. Most of my days begin at 6 a.m. and end around midnight. Although I do have small breaks in between, I work more than I ever did as a medical intern, really. In addition, most of the things we mothers do are sacrifices. They are for the gain of those in our home and not really for ourselves. Many of the things we moms do are repetitive and without accolades or promotion that a job outside the home would involve. But we get to be exhausted and laugh and cry and pray with the ones we love the most. I would much rather spend myself on my family than anything or anyone else. Blessing number five, a greater opportunity to serve others. Finally, being in the home allows me to serve others in the church and in my community more than if I work outside the home. I can pick up the kid from school whose mom is running late and give him, have him over for a snack. I can have the elderly neighbor next door, help her, to, the elderly lady next door to her doctor's appointment in the middle of the day, with all my kids in the back of the van. I can coordinate a Meals on Wheels program and a Mom's Prayer program in the school. Christ is magnified here because I have the opportunity to go the extra step that others cannot. Not for my glory, but for God's who gives me the heart to serve and the ability to do so. I've heard so many times, you are different. You're one of the nicest people I've met here. You think of others so much more than yourself. How can I repay you? This is an unexpected blessing of working in home for sure. I just rejoice, and I praise God for this testimony. And I know that there are other women in our church family who are experiencing the great joy and the pleasure of being blessed and, and, and to the same degree. And you have your own testimonies that that you can write and share. And I want to take a shepherding moment, and our time is officially up. Before, before we throw a penalty flag for roughing the pastor. Um, I, I want to thank you all for your patience. This passage of scripture that we're going through in Titus 2, and we've spent back-to-back weeks on women being workers at home, okay? And, and I want to thank you for your, your patience. Nothing's more important. And to some degree, this th- 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 these last two weeks... And, and really, this series, since we started in Titus 2, just even talking about the discipleship component and our maturation and our testimonies in Christ, it, it, it is such an integral part of, of who and what Cornerstone Bible Church is going to be. This is us. This is our testimony. So I just want to thank you for your willingness to, maybe we're not moving through the text as fast as you would like or would anticipate. And because of this, we want to draw your attention and I saved this announcement for the end so that we could share this. Out of the overflow of our retreat which focused on discipleship, out of the overflow of uh, the passage that we've been studying over the last few weeks on discipleship, we are launching um, and we will have both Men's and women's ministry in our church. But We're launching our women's ministry uh, within the church, and, and and we hope that this encourages you, ladies. You will you will want to be a part of this, and we specifically do not have care groups any uh, care groups scheduled for Wednesday nights, just so that we could make the, the, the ministry opportunities like this possible. And uh, starting on September twenty fourth, uh, a week from this. Wednesday, just to give you a little bit of lead time, we're going to have outside speakers, some older women to come in, and our first uh, scheduled speaker is David Cummings' wife, uh, Pastor David Cummings' wife, Kim Cummings, who is going to come and and, and exhort all of you ladies on the theme of the year, which is biblical womanhood, and I think that you're going to be greatly blessed By that, And if you have any questions, there's some needs within some of the things to do just in terms of preparation, I would just encourage you, you can uh, talk to Michelle Yang, you can talk to Doreen Furco, you can talk to uh, my wife Victoria, and again, this is just the initial group of ladies that kind of is serving as a leadership panel, and if you want to get connected to the ministry and find out how you can maybe team up with them or serve in any way, I want to invite you to talk to them as soon as you can and they'll be able to share more details. It'll be at 7.30 uh, p.m. Wednesday evening, a week from this coming Wednesday. All right. Please join me as I close our time in prayer. Our God and our Father, we are so thankful that we could even start our time together this morning by reading your word praying then singing songs of praise and to ascribe glory to the reality and the majesty of all that you are and Lord I repent even of my own misguided thinking that somehow maybe I think that I know how it is that you want me to glorify you with my life. Instead of asking the question and being purposed to consider this from your perspective, how do you desire me to glorify you? How do you uh, desire and hope that other believers in our church will glorify you and you provide rules and are purposeful and intentional in the way that we can do that. And I know my heart's encouraged. I'm not even a wife or a mother, but yet my heart can rejoice in seeing just the wisdom that you provide for them as they serve you and magnify the gospel, magnify what they've been saved for, and then also instructing them with your words so that the Word of God can be also magnified in their testimony. We rejoice in you. We look forward to what next Sunday brings. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to use us, allow us all to grow and become more sensible. Have us consider ways that we can be serving in the church. I pray that you'll bless our time as we have Ministry One training um, without equipping hour this next hour that we would have the opportunity for Ministry One training to bless those who serve our children and make disciples with our youngest in the church. Again, we thank you for this time. We commit it to you. We look forward to seeing how it impacts us as we continue to walk with you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.